You're listening to The Contrary Beekeeper Show. I'm Dan. I'm Greg. And I'm James. Join us as we journey into beekeeping while we learn to be the change, one hive at a time. Today we're talking about facing our fears, growing our bee yards by making splits, the importance of finding a mentor, and a visit down to see Don the Fat Bee Man. Let's get after it. One has been... It's been crazy the last couple of weeks with all the rain, and then it's been getting dry and trying to make bees and try to make queens and keep on top of it. has been... My clover loves the rain. The clover's nice right now, isn't it? It is very nice. Well, in my bee yard right now, uh, the poison ivy is in full bloom from all the rain. Oh, that's so special. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Your yard has, has a, lot of, a lot of poison ivy in it. My clothes are still in a bag. Well, we, when you came during when there wasn't really much poison ivy in bloom compared to what I have now... Do the bees go on poison ivy blossoms? I've never even seen a poison ivy blossom. I haven't seen a blossom either, but it's like the it's like a ground covering. Oh, literally. and bloom, you mean it's all over? It's it's exploded. It's growth. exploded. Oh, okay. Growth ground covered everywhere. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if poison ivy has a flower or not. I don't think I've ever seen one. I've actually not mowed the back parts of my yard because the clover is looking amazing. Yeah. And I find bees all over them, so I'm just. Is your clover tall this year? Uh, out in the field, yeah, but most of it's red clover. The white clover is not getting. I noticed tall. my white clover this year is, I've it, the, the clover. The leaves are you know only about six inches off the ground, but the flowers are popping up like twelve, fourteen inches. Really? Yeah, super. Like almost as tall as red clover. Oh. I've, I've never noticed that, but all of our clover had a lot of competition though with the Timothy in the mm-hmm. orchard and the red clover booming. Well, I noticed the the conf- the comfrey's on the second round. It already passed knee height. All the country's huge, isn't it? Yeah, ours is massive. I had some. I got. I got some. Almost got to six feet tall. It's right next to the side of a of the walk in, and it was just kind of almost trellised up this little, the side corner of it. And I have seen honeybees on it. I've seen a lot of bumblebees, and I've seen a lot of hummingbirds and butterflies. So it's kind of neat to see all kind of different uh, insects taking advantage of the the pollen and and all that, but. Well, what we want to kind of talk about in this episode is, uh, you know, getting into this season, and we all came into it with different challenges. And uh, as you get further along in your beekeeping experience, you kind of forget some of those things after you, you know, find a solution. You, there's always a next problem that's like taking up your your, um, your your mental mainframe there. So maybe we could talk a little bit about, you know, individually what we were kind of coming into the season with, what tools we were working with. Maybe you know, any kind of problems or concerns we had, what we did about that, and then what kind of goals we have uh, for the rest of this year. Mine was I had four hives going into winter. I had two die-outs, so I decided to make splits, and I found it rather daunting because everybody has their own way, and that's the way to make splits. Right. So as you dig into information and all that, it's so many different ways to split your hives and everyone does there's a few pretty main ways to do it but everyone has their own method of doing them and when did you so you came into the you came into this year with how many hives i came in this year with four hives or two hives two hives and one of them was in a 10 frame yes one's in a 10 frame and one's in an eight frame yeah and i wanted to get rid of the 10 frames the equipment. Yes. You the want to equipment. get them down to eight yes, or five? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I don't want to be dealing with 10 frame supers. So, what, what, did you have any mental obstacles when it came to figuring out what was going on and what you wanted to do about it? More for me, it was trying to figure out how. Uh, I knew, I knew a lot of the whys, but it was how to actually do it with getting them to take the split which way to go about it and i've actually tried really two or three different ways this year i uh crowded them out to where they made cells i actually cut some cells out and then i also made some walkaway splits so you did walkaways with open brood yes and you crowded them out to make them force swarm cells yes and then you would move those frames into a, a, a nuke or to make a split yeah and then you also cut queen cells out yes 
how how did that go? What kind of experience did you have with that? And and where did you, how did you get to that conclusion? And how did you feel about it when you were done? Well, the first thing I did is I had that ten frame hive. They put on a mass of uh, swarm cells, all in a few days period. And I checked, and then they were open, larvae in them, plenty the cat, of royal the cells jelly. were open. Yeah. yeah. So I closed it all back up. Waited another, I think it was like five or six days. Went back in their clothes, and then that's when I started to break down that uh, ten frame since it was three boxes high, three medium boxes. So I started to pull out those uh, swarm cells with uh, capped root, and each split got a one or two swarm cells, depending on what was on the frame, and uh, cap root to go with it, and some nurse bees. Nice. So you did splits with capped queen cells, and you yes. made what? How many? Three or four of those? Uh, I made six of those. Six with the yes. capped queen cells. Yep. And how did those? How did those turn out? So you 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 took them out of the, out of the big hive, and you made the splits. You had you had some cap brood. You had probably what one or two frames of cap brood. You had the frame that had the capped queen cell on yep. it. An additional frame of maybe some pollen and honey. Yeah, everyone got a frame of pollen. Uh, I have some leftover frames of honey and sugar water mixture. So you ended up with like two or three frames yeah. in, in total that included pollen, honey, yeah, some brood. Emerging brood, yes, and then the the, the cell well, itself. The honey frames actually came out of the freezer. Okay, I, I froze those uh, last year because they were half honey, half sugar water, and there's right. no use for them really. The so, spin I, them out, yeah, yep. So those got saved, and then and those first splits were. Would you say it was probably early June, the end, right, the I end think, part of May? Yeah, I think right that's as the dandelions yeah. are coming on. Yeah. Maybe a little bit after, a week or two after that. Because mm-hmm. it was challenging to get the queens out and get them mated, and I was worrisome for a while because halfway through their mating flight period, uh, it was like six or seven days of nothing but rain every day. Right. And it was absolutely miserable. And it was I, also washing the pollen out and everything yes. else, too. Oh, absolutely. And that day 16 came around, and it was still raining, and then... Uh, it was two days after it quit raining. I went back in there and I started finding eggs and stuff. And uh, uh, let's see, I made I cut out a queen cell that time frame and made another split because uh, the same ten frame produced me uh, two queens side by side on the frame, and I just cut that one out. And then so you cut it out. And what did you do? Sandwich it in between two frames? Uh, actually, I mushed it. Mushed it into the, into side the of brood one. of uh, yeah. Gotcha. Into I think it was just larva into okay. another frame. And slapped it into that's another nuke box. And then you also did a walkaway split, it sounds like, with just open brood. Yes, I did a walkaway split. I found uh, found some eggs, frame of eggs. Pulled those out with a little capped brood. And then, of course, my honey and pollen frame. And then an open frame of just uh, foundation. And set those aside and locked it up for, I think, a day with my dial and then opened it back up and I've yet to be back in there to confirm if there's a queen. So closed off the entrance dial so they can't come in and out. Yeah. And then it kind of, they, they understand they have no queen and then they go right to the, the young larva, the one to three day old, I guess three day and four day actually gets to a larva, but their eggs between from the first day up till that third day ish. I guess right when the, they start to curl, they turn into a larva. So you, you know, obviously, if you if you're at a point to where you have queen cells that are capped, you know you're looking at seven to eight days or so ish, and then they have an additional seven to eight days or so, in total sixteen days about uh, before that queen will hatch. So if you take a frame uh, out of a, a of your existing colony to go make a split, you're only looking at about sixteen days or so before the queen will emerge, and typically she'll go off and get mated. Uh, with, with, as long as the weather's cooperating within about 16 days or less. Yeah. And then she'll start laying within three to five days or sooner. It, there's not really firm numbers on, on much of that. So the time frame is way less. Yeah. If you're making splits with the cap swarm cells, whether it's the, using the whole frame or cutting it out and putting it in between frames. But then when you make the walkaway split, it you have, let's say, a day, an hour or a day or two days 
uh, for them to recognize being queenless, which I think takes them probably an hour or less in a lot yeah. of situations. But um, so then they have to, because you've obviously, hopefully, chosen a, uh, a frame of brood that has the one to three day old um, eggs and or larva on the frame. They start to draw that out, and that takes what seven days or so. Yep. They start to draw it out and cap it, and then another. Uh, seven to eight days for her to emerge. So it takes you about potentially an extra seven to eight days in the season to make a walk away as opposed to making a oh, split with a yeah, swarm cell. Absolutely. And honestly, I probably, it wasn't really a necessity for my goals this year to make a walk away. Learning opportunity. But though. yeah, it's another tool I'll have in the toolbox. See that cycle all the way, yeah. see that natural process. What have you noticed? Any what have you noticed? Um, have you noticed anything within quality performance? Do you ha- can, can you compare any of those to each other and and say, you know, the ones that are capped queens are doing a little bit better because they had an extra ten days? Oh, absolutely, they're yeah. they're they're leaps and bounds ahead. But the walk away split was just oh eight nine days ago. So we're still going to see still how that in the early cycle. Oh yeah, and then you're up here in the Raymond area. What's your pollen flow right now? It's white, pretty much white clover, some yeah. ornamental flowers, white clover and ornamentals. No, really just came, just started to come on. Barely, but yeah. So we've kind of coming out of a slight uh, darth as far as nectar and pollen yep. up until now. So it's been a little bit slow making queens. So Jimbo, up in your neck of the woods, what? Talk to us about your experience coming into the first part of this year and kind of where you are now. Previously, I mentioned earlier this year I was a bit nervous. Uh, it's being my first year and not knowing what did I know, what not know what I'm looking for. Um, just in general, uh, I was nervous about shaking the bees into the box to begin with, and um, but you know, found out that was really easy. And um, but then after that, it's like okay what do I do from here? You know, what do I look for, uh, with the bees, you know, how do I know they're a healthy hive? How do I know they're not a healthy hive? How did you, did you have any fear or anxiety even before you got the bees getting them to your place and what to do or how to prepare? Yeah. My, my anxieties were based upon just not knowing anything and, you know, as we've said, is that you can get ten different you know answers from ten different beekeepers. Um, I, you know, what was the point of asking all these questions beforehand? Almost yeah. uh, when I'm just going to go into it more confused. It's hard to get direction when there's so much advice out there. When you're first starting, you don't know. You know, you're assuming everyone is being honest and truthful with their experience, but it's all about their local context, not so much what you what's best for you in your bee yard it's it's hard to understand why all these things are important before you can even do how what was what was your experience like before you even had the bees when you were trying to get equipment and all those kind of things ready and in place what what how was that journey up till then you know like i said i was just trying to keep an open mind at that point because i rather i wanted to go into it clear and just figure it out as we go along yeah. that's just how how I, you know i do things sometimes just We'll see how it goes. This we learn by doing. Um, so going into it uh, bef- beforehand, you know, I would I had bought bees from my local uh, beekeeper, who's part of my local bee club, and mm-hmm. so we kept going back and forth. You know, when the bees were going to arrive, and you know, you know, first it was going to be you know beginning of May, uh, and then come beginning of April, I get a you know a text message from my from my guy says. Oh, by the way, they'll be they'll be there within a week, <laughs> <laughs> and, you're, and you're scrambling to figure out: Are you ready with what needs to happen? Yeah, I was scrambling. I'm like, you know, what's going on here? I'm like, this is too soon. Uh, Weather wise, um, me wise, I'm like, I'm not ready for this because I thought I had more time. Right, and you know, and I had my, I had my hives built, um, but at that point, I didn't have any of my foundation put in my frames, mm-hmm. or I really had frames. Or a feeder situation yeah. all the way set up. Yeah. Yeah, correct. Yeah, at that point, yeah. yeah. It's a lot to figure out all at once with 
you know, starting from scratch and not knowing what to anticipate, like what you actually do need and don't need. Right. And yeah. that was kind of like my theory of what we'll figure out as we go along. Yeah. But at that point, I'm like, I don't know what to do. And then that's why I called you up. I'm like, I need to walk through this. Yeah. You know, and you know, it took us like well, about like three hours to figure out what I was going to do and where I was going to be able to uh, procure all the supplies that I needed on in a in a, in in a, a short notice. Yeah, it was like a three day window. Because a lot of these things, there are local places um, that carry something. Like you hear in Ohio, we have Rule King and, and Tractor Supply that are now both carrying some of the hive essentials. Um, but it might not be exactly what you had in mind, you know, for your goal. So you scramble to try to find all these things and to, to put them in place and you either go drive and pick those things up or you typically most of these things you order and there's you know if it's amazon it's a couple days or a week if it's somewhere else all right and you know that's what you know i'm like okay you know let's, let's rely on amazon because in this day and age uh i think well, probably 99 percent of us all rely on amazon right they have everything we need and we can find everything at decent prices for the most part i think me and you'd realized that amazon was not the place to find those supplies for at least the frames a lot of the beekeeping stuff is is actually pretty expensive on amazon there's a couple things that are, are great buys like some of the, the vented bee suit some of the basic stuff but when you get into uh trying to get foundation and frames and getting those shipped it gets to be a little bit pricey where you're paying you know three to five dollars a frame um which is just you know hardly no not m- many folks can afford that when they have three or four hives uh to you know, supply their entire outfit with with that kind of thing. So you try to buy them in bulk or buy them in a different way where it makes sense. And luckily, Rule King had them, and they weren't they weren't, weren't too awful. And you could go get them right now, take them home, get it set up, and then you were done. Yep, and that's that's where I was at. We we, we figured, okay, we'll go out to Rule King. I got got all the supplies I needed. I came home, and I'm like, okay, you know, next day is, was the big day. Next and then day was what? big day, and then I you know, I'm like, didn't hear nothing. I text the guy. He's like, "Oh, I, you know, um, it might be a few more days." And I'm like, <laughs> a few more days. I could have ordered everything and I yeah. got it for a little cheap. Yeah. And then it's a few hard. more days turned back into a few more weeks. <laughs> right. So back to the original plan of uh, of May the first. I think of what it was, but right. I mean, it just a lot of yards were late though. There was a lot of wet weather even down south. Oh, uh, everywhere. So I think your bees came from Florida. Yeah, my bees came from Florida. And so Florida, Georgia. Uh, the whole South was this. It was, a, it was a flood conditions and a lot of the mid spring there, and it set it set the queen rearing back for most of the outfits um, down there. And then up and even in Ohio, um, you know, if you were buying local bees, that got set back because we also had tons and tons of rain um, and cold nights to deal with too. So everybody was set back. It seemed like almost a month this year getting started. Then here we are, you know, approaching July and. Uh, the timing of everything seems to be a little bit off. The honey flow seems to be a little bit off, and we're all now trying to make plans for, um, you know, the rest the rest of the year. What would you have to say to folks who are trying to get into beekeeping and they're trying to just YouTube it and read the books and figure all this information out? Do you, would you would you have any other recommendations for them? Well, I I think you know, find local bee clubs. Uh, there's more around than you would think. And, you know, you're going to you'll run into, you'll have maybe around 30, 40 people in these bee clubs, and they all have different opinions. But, you know, let take that in. Don't exclude, you know, all the opinions or, or whatnot. Just kind of take it in and find the person you kind of gravitate towards the most. You think, you know what, that's the kind of style of beekeeping that I want to do. Because there's nothing wrong with, you know, the 10 other styles of beekeeping. That's just for that person in that situation, which goes back to you have to figure out what it is that you are doing. Right. The, the question that's you true. asked me like what three years ago. Yeah. Why are you getting into beekeeping? And that's what you got to ask yourself to begin with. Is is the why? Because that dictates what you do and how you do it moving forward, doesn't it? Exactly. I mean, because me, you, and Dan, we talk constantly about like what we're doing, and it's and but we all had different goals, so we're all doing things a little bit differently here. Right, you know, you know, Dan's making splits. You know, I'm adding boxes onto my my hives. We're going in two different directions. Right. What was it? Is it? Um, I was able to stop by and see your yard, and it was like it was great to to get in there and see, you know, what a different style of bee you know is doing versus what I have or what Dan has or anybody else's. 
and I mean your bees were nice. I didn't I didn't have to wear a suit. They were calm. Yeah, they're 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 a super chill bee, the Carnolians. What troubles were you having with the packages up to that point? Well, I mean, going back from the start, you know, my uh, beekeeper said, you know, I don't don't want to alarm you, but there I didn't affect your bees, but there was outbreaks in Nosema at that time in the Georgia when the Georgia inspectors took a look at the bees. Mm-hmm. They found like minute traces of Nosema that they were able to still say, well. It's still okay to pass. You can still move them along up north. And so your bees got treated for they got, Nosema. They got, they got treated for Nosema. Before you got them. Before I got them. Yeah. Just, just be on the safe side. Yeah. So we're like, okay. Um, you know, so that was, that was the first thing. And I haven't seen any, in two months, I haven't seen any, any signs of Nosema. Uh, okay, as far as performance and, and how they were thriving, you had three packages. Yep. Talk about your, your experience with those so far. So uh, I, you know, I have you know two beautiful packages that are just thriving right now, uh, and like I've added boxes onto their initial boxes. Uh, the third package, uh, which I've called my welfare package, that I've had issues from day one. Queen disappeared. The queen disappeared. Well, actually, no, you know what? No, the she didn't disappear right away. So when I installed the packages, or I installed all the packages, you know, uh, she hadn't quite. Uh, eaten through all the, you know they hadn't eaten through all the fondant in, in her ca- cage yeah so we placed the cage inside the uh the, the the hive and at that point we you know we gave it a couple of days and all the other the other two queens they ate th- their they their workers ate through all the fondant uh they got her out the third package no that she did they were not. in a hurry to to get her out, and she wasn't in a hurry to get out either. Yeah, none, she, not neither of them or her were ready to get out. Uh, so I had to force her out of her out of her cage at that point. I mean, obviously, gently. Well, not force her. You you pulled the you pulled the the uh, cork and then removed the, what yeah. candy was left. I removed what candy was left, pulled the cork, and I even pulled the cage off because she was still not wanting to come out, even with the cork or the candy gone. Was she getting? Uh, Greeted by the, the the nurse bees and the bees in that hive once you removed her, the cork and the candy, no, or they kind of ignore her. They kind of ignored her. Okay, yeah. so just you know the bees that were with her to begin with were, were were still there. And did she ever lay? I don't believe she ever did because I you know after she fi- I finally coaxed her out of her cage. Yeah. Uh, some days later, she fled the coop. So that 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 makes a lot of sense, you know, because down south they because of the weather they're having troubles getting queens mated. And so I don't wonder if she maybe was never mated. And if she's not mated, she's not going to have that strong pheromone either. Mm-hmm. If she doesn't have that strong pheromone, they might not give uh, a hill of beans a difference on you know who she is, what she is, and maybe don't work too hard to get her out of the cage. No. And then once she once you manually released her, it sounds like that may have been the case, especially if she wasn't laying. Yeah, and then you know half of the package disappeared. Now, I don't know if they just drifted into my other two hives. Because then you notice those two exploded. Yeah, my other population. two hives explo- exploded. Yeah. So that's, you know, what you know the most educated guess we can make at this point. So how did you overcome, like, what did you use as a point of reference as far as information? And then what did you do to rectify or to help work through that situation? Uh, so, you know, went through and inspected the, what was there. Uh, took pictures of it. And we uh, sent pictures back and forth to each other. Asked asked the questions, you know, what what can we possibly do to to fix this? Uh, the question, you know, the biggest question was, okay, do I try to fix this hive, or do I try to combine it with another hive? Because I had another beekeeper, who, you know, who's a who's a veteran, uh, told me he said just combine that hive with another hive, add newspapers to the one hive, then put that box on top of the other, and let them eat through the newspaper and combine them. Um, and then talking back and forth with you guys, I, we kind of decided, you know, that's not maybe the best ideas because if that hive was already tainted from bad genetics, do I really want to combine it with my other hives? If it is a weakest link, I mean, that's, that's you know, if there's any beekeepers listening, they're probably, you know, anyone that's going to freak out either way. Oh, wow, just, just combine it or don't ever combine, you know. Right, but, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so you, she obviously wasn't producing and then they either kicked her out, she died, she left. <clears throat> um, who knows what? Um, so, what did you end up ultimately doing so with that? Ended up, we robbed a frame of brood 
from with the thr- with the, th- the biggest thriving hive that I had yeah. and put that in that box uh, and gave had it open f- brood. Yep, open brood. Non I had uncapped young young eggs and larvae in there. Yep. And then what happened? Gave it a few weeks and a new queen emerged. So they drew out their own queen from yep. that, hatched her out, and then you've got about four solid frames of bees right now. Yeah, as of right now, two months later, I, ha- I still have four solid frames of bees. Uh, this is a medium box, a uh, Lang- Langstrom box. Yeah. It's an A-frame. So, yeah, uh, about half the box is, is filled out at this point. So I know everyone's heard the, heard the phrase, timing is everything. But when you get into beekeeping and everything is on such a finite schedule on everything that they do, the things that need to be in place, whether it's pollen, a pollen, or pollen, a nectar flow, uh, things that need to be in place in nature for the bees to do their work. That's one hurdle. And then you have a hurdle of, of when you're trying to requeen. So they made a queen and then we got three weeks straight of rain. Oh yeah. She obviously went out and got mated, mm-hmm. but then there's, there's all those weeks of rains where all the pollen's getting washed out. It's kind of, you know, the, the, the plants happen to happen to reestablish, reglow, re, uh, regrow out, put more pollen on, develop those the pollen in the flowers um, to try to bring pollen in because if they don't if they don't have pollen and nectar they can't feed baby bees I, just, I, I have the the this is part of my worries uh, for the you know rest of the season is <clears throat> will this will this hive be a strong enough colony by winter time right you know yeah. is it going to be just a, a honey donation? Or is it gonna or is it gonna thrive? You know, because yeah. my my other two hives are, like I said, I'm adding boxes onto it. But this one, I haven't added any boxes, and they, cause it hasn't even filled out half of its own first box. Have you been feeding it all season? Yeah, I've been feeding that. I've been feeding that with sugar water. Have you been feeding all of them all season? I've been feeding them all all of them all season. Yes, so they all okay. been consist the consist the same amount of consistent feeding. Is this one consuming the sugar water? Yeah, they can they consume the sugar water. Okay, they're just not building in there. No, there's just. So the the frames are the the frame. There's four frames that are just aren't even built out, not drawn out. They are just foundation. So think about the biology of the bee. So when they when a, a very small, in other words, they were already small numbers to start with because they yeah. half the numbers had drifted off. So you have a small hive that you know this time of year the the life cycle of these of the workers are only forty five days. Okay, so from the time the packages were made and they get to you, if you don't have constant brood hatching out and also laying you run into a wall for a time period where you have no more population until they catch up right so she lays she fills out the air that they need to to start to do all that work and then they start losing bees because they're they're starting to age out well on top of that so at this point in time we're talking a few weeks ago four weeks ago yep about four weeks ago yep so think about this so four weeks ago she starts to lay again and from the time that she lays the egg until when that bee will actually leave the box to forage is 21 days. So you have three weeks to where all that, all those new bees are nurse bees and it's hive maintenance and all those kind of things. So that entire hive is relying on all the field bees that are left in that box mm-hmm. that are between that 21 and 45 days that were living up until that point. Those are the ones that are going out in the field and doing all the work and bringing it back. Right. So if we're four weeks now and you're wondering how is this hive going to turn around, well, in the last week or so, they should start to you start to, you should start to see them kind of build up and build up. Now this is where like timing is tricky, right? So we've had all this rain, and the, the main flow is, is already over. And so right now we have you know some clovers coming in and the milkweed and butterfly bush and all kinds of ornamentals and crop plants that are coming in, and that's kind of help, helps maintain and keep them through until the next big pollen rush, which is goldenrod, towards the end of August. So don't be alarmed, necessarily, if they're not super mega built and big up, because they might have just had a lack of, one, lack of pollen, and number two, just the timing of that from those bees are going to be, those eggs are going to be laid until when they mature enough to actually exit the hive um, to come back and start bringing in more pollen and nectar so they can keep the nursery more viable. Right, right. So, what are your goals for um, the rest of the year for those three hives? Uh, so 
just keep let them keep building up is, is the goal, and just kind of just I, I want to be an observer. Yeah, you know, I I'm not I'm not here looking to uh, multiply my numbers this year. You know, I'm just looking to learn what I can from from this experience, good or bad. I'm okay with I, with either or, because you know there, there's a thousand ways to not make a light bulb, but there's only one way to make a light bulb. Kind of you know saying here, so you're still learning regardless. Right. So keep these three alive going into the winter time. Yep. So just keep these bees alive through the winter time. Just let them keep building up, adding on boxes, and. You know, maybe by next year, you know, after I feel comfortable and what I've learned this year, maybe I'll, I'll look into doing splits next year. Come out of the spring heavy with, with the good numbers out of, you know, let's say only one hive makes it. Hopefully all, they all three, but if right. one hive makes it, come early spring, you know, you, you could you could turn a crowded box into, you know, 10 splits real right. quick. Yeah, take one strong hive with good genetics, split that out, and still come out ahead. I think that's a, that's, that's a good... Um, reasonable, doable, and modest plan to get started is to keep three hives alive, learn and observe, and then you know come out of the following year, the spring, mentally ready and aware of that last year's experience, and then be able to understand why you want to make splits, why all these things need to happen in place in the hive before they're ready. And then when it comes time to how, that's almost the, that's almost the easier part once you understand why the bees function the way they do inside of the hive. And, and you know, I think part of the problem I see with some people is that there's there's all these different things that we can be doing and we want to do, uh, and they're the jack of all trades, but they're master of none. Right. Why be that jack of all trades? Right. You know, let's figure out how to do one thing right. And then we'll go on to the next instead of trying to do all these things at once and then lose possibly lose all my bees. I'm I'm pretty guilty of having that squirrel dog squirrel dog syndrome, and I know Dan is. Oh God, I have it bad. So where are you at this year, Dan? So far, uh, so far we are at uh, ten hives, and that that was your that goal, was, wasn't it? My goal was to have go from two to nice. ten. I had that uh, ten frame hive that was. Really great bees, really liked them, really liked the genetics of them. They're calm, they forged good, and so we decided to split those out completely into, oh, eight more hives, and uh, right now we're just waiting on the last hive number 10 to get a queen, and if that goes well, I hit my goal, and it's just now starting to get ready to for winter to come. Ramping up for the fall flow? Yep. And wintering? Yep. But they're booming. I... Oh uh, well, gosh! Yes, yesterday was real hot, and I got to see them all outside bearding, and almost all the nuke boxes were bearding. Heavy. Oh yeah, it was. First you see it, you're like, oh my gosh, yes. they're swarming, and you're like, no, they're just bearding, you know. And, and yeah, and with the the queens and all the rain, and I was sure, I was sure for a while there that I lost all my queens, and I did something wrong, and for days on end, I replayed how everything went and try to figure out if I did something wrong, and then finally go back in there a couple days after all this rain stopped and i found eggs and i was ecstatic and so for us uh our newer beekeepers can you expand on what bearding is oh uh the front of my hives all majority of the bees are just hanging out out there because it's hot in the hive yes it's hot in the hive and they come out and they cling to the front of the box yep and they cool off exactly in the last several days have been like mid 90 degree days and this coming week is going yeah. to be the same is going to be oh yeah yeah a lot of uh and so it seems like for me when that when that when it's good and hot outside it's like they also are super productive on the inside of the hive yep um and so when you see signs of them swarming you know you have a lot or not swarming bearding, bearding you know you have a ton of population inside that box that they need to cool off yep so it's kind of exciting if you're if you're uh to the point in your journey where you're making splits and you're looking for swarm opportunities uh to get those uh queen cells and make splits it's exciting to see so many hives that are bearding out you know because you it's just it's potential oh absolutely and i think if you've if you've ever been on any of these facebook forums for any of the uh, any kind of beekeeper forum on facebook i think that's one of the biggest questions i see people ask and post <laughs> yeah <laughs> what's going on with my bees are, are they, they okay yeah are they swarming, are they swarming? yes yeah 
I mean, you could certainly have. I mean, you could certainly have uh, you know a a swarm box out that's the front's covered in bees as they're going into, or they land on one to go to another. But you know, once you understand that, it, but you know, there, that's a difference in uh, mentality too. Is um, a lot of folks are only geared for having a couple hives, um, keeping things modest, uh, which is great, making honey, uh, you know, and then that's it. They're not looking at splits. They look at swarm cells as let's freak out what do we do about this they see bearding on a heavily populated hive and they freak out thinking everything is going to swarm but if you just flip that around a little bit and look at it as an investment um you know it's it's expensive to get into beekeeping it's expensive to have um this hobby or a sideline or even go even i can't even imagine if you go up to more of a commercial scale um how expensive it is but if you just run the numbers on how much money you've put into a hive you know, just an, an average person, you know, buying from Dadent or anybody else, all their woodenware, all their boxes, and even their bees. I mean, you're looking at 800 bucks to a thousand dollars per hive. You know, we do it for a fraction of that cost because we build everything and do things a little bit different. But so you have someone who has that kind of money invested in one hive, and then they see healthy signs of a hive when they are bearding or they are getting ready to swarm. They're putting on all these drone cells. They're putting on all these queen cells and they freak out because they think they're going to lose their investment. But it's just a little little flip of that idea in the brain to where you use that to your advantage because the bees are, are healthy, they're populated. You just move a couple of those frames out, move those queen cells out, and next thing you know, you've just doubled uh, your, your net worth in the bee yard. Um, because now you're turning one hive into two or four just off one. I mean, off, off one hive. You could take, like Dan, you could take a 10-frame hive and easily make 10 splits. You know, Dan Dan got to 10 in no time. He met his goals. If he wanted to, he could spend the rest of this year um, making more splits and even even maybe into the next month or so. And if, if, the, if the pollen's right and the flow's right and everything else, he could be at way more than that. But he's smart about his goals. Um, and the time he wants to put into it and, you know, it's more, I'm just, I don't want the tail to outrun the dog. I don't want to turn this into, Oh, absolutely. Cause seeing these hives and how packed they are right now, full of bees, I definitely know I can make more splits if I wanted to right now, but at the same time, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. And that's why I set for me, I believe I'm setting extremely modest limits on myself each year. And I mean, most folks yeah. hear you say it, and they're, they're thinking you're crazy calling yes. going oh. t- two to ten modest. Yes, uh, last year uh, I actually argued with my wife over it. We got two hives from a friend of ours, and actually uh, her and her sister took care of them. And due to family situations, they couldn't, so she was kind enough to let us use them. And then at the same time, uh, we took our beekeeping class, and then uh, along with that, we bought uh, hive suits, smokers. It was a full kit for it and so all of a sudden we have four hives and i was pretty confident she was not happy about the financial investment on just the two hives that we did buy then we had to buy frames and foundation for the other two but my goal last year was just to keep them alive i know other people like oh you can totally split this i was like nope keep them alive i hit one year mark to where i keep my bees alive then i'll start looking into something else and it was and it was a great time because i could actually learn a lot about them yeah instead of having other things i was trying to focus on you can't focus on it all at once no and I, the first year and i think most important thing i learned the first year was i gained my confidence with them because it was more or less the i'm i very much started off invading the hive and as the time progressed, I could see that I was not less invading, but more just checking things out. Approaching and, them. Yeah, approaching them. them. Yes. Yeah. And the number of times I got stung last year are definitely proof of that. I got stung nine times, which some people probably laugh at. Uh, and I think, oh gosh, second half of the year, I think it was only one or two. But it was all in the beginning. And it's for me, it's the modest goals are what keeps me going. What what have you? Uh, what has been kind of a? Has there been any game changers or what? What could you say about folks uh, maybe looking for like there there are, there are some groups of guys and they get together and they play poor shoot darts. Yeah, we get together and we try not to get stung and we try to make bees and we do. This is how us and a lot of guys in our local Ohio 
community get together and uh, work together to meet our own individual goals. Do you think it's been, I know Jimbo's in his first year, but I wonder what you guys would have to say about uh, finding not only a mentor, but finding friends that are, that are also into it and doing it. Has that been helpful or beneficial to help you talk through or understand what's going on in the hive? I would say from my personal experience, finding multiple friends that are into it is as important, if not more important than finding a mentor. Different kind of support. There, yes, yeah. because it's someone that's also you're able to bounce your thoughts and ideas off of. I know I've called you in the middle of the day a few times, Greg, and been like, hey, I need a sanity check on this, and I'll run through my plans with you. And then as you so awesomely do all the time, you just piss in my Cheerios and you're like, hold on, wait, think about this. And then these, your outside opinion makes me look at it in a whole separate lens. And I don't, I don't ever tell you lens. what to do. No, no. You give it to me in a whole separate lens and a separate point of view and it just gives me the ability to look at it from another mindset. And I realized that, yeah, that's probably a better idea or it might not fit my yard that best, but it might fit yours. So... I personally think having a friends do it is extremely helpful. And I, and I agree with you on that, Dan, as far as that is extremely helpful to bounce ideas off of, uh, or just to, you know, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Hey, yo. <laughs> <laughs> However, I, I would recommend as far as, uh, you know, cause Dan's in his second year, he's kind of got his footing, his bearings as a first year beekeeper. For me, it really helped, you know, having you, Greg, actually come to my bee yard and go through a whole inspection with me, uh, right there with me, and show me, show me, well, okay, this is good, you know, this is what you're looking for. Show you the, the actual components, the biology, what they're actually doing in the hive. Yeah, and yeah. that to me made the biggest difference, you know. And I, I think once you get comfortable with all that, maybe you don't need that as much. I mean, you might need a you might need someone to come out and look at it like, hey, you know, I think something really bad's going on. I really do need a second pair of eyes. But I think you don't need that as much after your, your, your first, maybe second year. In the first year, I think, um, you know, it's, it's important to have somebody who you feel um, is approachable, um, that will take the time and listen, throw out ideas uh, constructively, um, that, that helps you meet your goals. And also, like Dan says, sometimes pissing your Cheerios just a little bit, um, so just to help you better understand, to help you maybe give you some other ideas. When you get focused on something, like you've got bees that you think are swarming and you don't want them to swarm, that's all you're thinking about. But then if someone just says, hey, you already have all this equipment and these frames, if you're worried about them swarming, well, we can stop this one from swarming by just pulling out a couple frames, putting that into this extra hive body you already have. That hive stops swarming and now you've got a second hive once this queen emerges. You just solved one problem and then just doubled um, you know the value of of your yard and, and potentially your numbers real soon. And at the same time, you've never said, "Well, this is law and this is how it is and this is how it has to be done." You say, "This is how I would approach the situation." Um, and you know, you know, what do you think? Right. You know, this is what my experiences are, but I can't say this is what your experiences are going to be. And that's the same for not just beekeeping; that's life in general. You know, you at your place, you have a neighbor who has dairy cows. Yep. He does it a certain way. So yes. you, you have a point of reference for cows. Dan has cows here at his farm, and he works with guys that have million-dollar cows as well. So that's his context. I have my own cows at my place, and that's a completely separate context as well. But we all three have a context for cows to where if Jimbo were to tell Dan, this is what you should do with cows because my neighbor does or my neighbor says to do this or vice versa – it's totally out of context. Yep. I mean, it, it totally makes you know no sense, and that's why um, it, it's in, important to learn not you know how to do all these things at first, but spend the time to learn to, to why. And then if Dan says, "Hey, if you want to raise a million dollar prize bull, here are some things you could do," and then you can glean what you can from that. Or if or if Jimbo says, "Hey, my neighbor has forty uh, head that are milked out." automatically and they're inside this barn this is how he handles this that's all valuable information but you have what you have to do is is understand what that is actually what that actually means and then apply it to you appropriately it's like when you I, 
you know, I, I'm not a part of a B club this year. It's not because I have anything against B clubs. Uh, last year, it was very important for me um, to be a part of the B club. Um, so I had a sense of, of a little bit of, of community and belonging, and I felt like there were there were people I could reach out to. Over the last year, we've built here in Ohio such a community of folks that are all keeping bees now uh, with, with different goals and different contexts. That's a more meaningful community for me to maintain that relationship um, than just the one that I show up on every other Thursday, you know. And so it's where, where all this gets, you know, really, really interesting is you talk about, you know, everything being context specific and being local. Like we're in Ohio. So if folks are in New Mexico and they're listening to us, how we keep bees, they're thinking for the most part, well, they could all keep bees the same way and be just fine. They don't realize, some folks don't realize all the different nuances, even in different hours drive of the state. Make make a really big difference. Even in microclimates, the microclimates, uh, the macroclimates. You know, just there's so much, there's so many nuances there that you always have to keep in mind. Uh, you know, beekeeping is 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 local. I read this and I want to share it. It's uh, it says all beekeeping is local. In my earlier beekeeping years, I was often sorely puzzled at the diametrically opposite views often expressed by different correspondents for the bee journals. An extension of that state of mind, I may say that at that time, I did not dream of the wonderful differences of locality and its relation to management of the bees. I saw, measured, weighted, compared, and considered all things apicultural by the standard of my own home in Genesee County, Michigan. It was not until I had seen the fields of New York white with buckwheat, admired the luxuriance of sweet clover growth in the suburbs of Chicago, Followed for miles the great irrigating ditches of Colorado, where they give lift to the royal purple of alfalfa bloom, and climb the mountains in California, pulling myself up by grasping the sagebrush, that I fully realized the great amount of apicultural meaning stored up in that one little word, locality. That's W.C. Hutchinson, Advanced Bee Culture. And that's a really long way to say there are so many special nuances even in our own bee yards, let alone in the state of Ohio or the Midwest or North America. And, you know, for me, you know, when we came into this year, we had zero bees because we took a risk on treatment-free. And we'll talk about that in a future episode. Um, but we lost the farm, literally, in the, in the bee yard on that, and we lost all the bees. And so coming into this year... Uh, we came up with six nukes uh, from down the fat bee man down in Georgia. Uh, we had small cell, his small cell bees last year, and they were, they were awesome. There were so many things that were great about them. Um, but we kind of, um, you know, took a different course on, on treatments because we, I would say, I didn't fully understand what that really meant. And I had a bad connotation in my mind that treatment meant it was like the glyphosate for bees. They're dumping chemicals on them. They're sick. They're poor. It's going to be in the honey. I didn't really fully realize that the majority of beekeepers are using plant-based, naturally occurring acids to kind of battle the mites. So I chose not to battle the mites, and I lost. So this year I went down and uh, picked up six nukes from Don and uh, got to spend a day and a half with Don in his bee yard going through all of his hives, seeing firsthand all the things that you see in his videos, that you hear in his bee chats, and it was worth, uh, I mean, it was such an important um, mind shift for me. Um, when you hear all these things and you see them on videos, but when you actually see it in person and you can see the hives, um, you know, when I went down there, it was like Don opened up these two locked bank vault doors in my brain, opened them up, and then filled them up with just, it was like every time he would talk, it was like he was throwing a 20 dollar bill at me every single time he would say something. And it was just all getting stored in there. And what was great is, you know, when, when you're a commercial student of Don's and you go to his yard, you're there working in his hives. You're, you're going through all of those. And, you know, he's watching and he's talking to you and he's explaining all these things and why they happen. He's not saying, don't do this, don't do that. You, know, you go to do something, he'll ask you a question. Why are you doing that? 
Well, what are the bees doing? What are they trying? What are they trying to tell you? Can you hear them? You know, the bees are singing to you. Are you hearing what they're what what the song is? And so I learned so much from that visit down with Don that I you know I, I got over a lot of fears that I had. I got um, over a lot of uh, myths and fallacies when it came to beekeeping, especially on a commercial scale. And I was able to come home um, just full of um, excitement um, with a lot more confidence um, to do all the things that I felt needed to be done to meet my goals um, for this year. So going into it, we had no bees. I came back with six um, nukes from Don. As of today, we're at 19 hives. Two of them are, are just about ready to go queen, right? And, um, you know, it's, it feels good to, to be able to put the, the kind of the time and effort into it and to see it unfold. But what has been really important is having uh, the, our local community here, but also being able to reach out and go and see um, somebody else and how they do it in their context to understand, well, this is why they do it a certain way because this is their context. And I think that's one of the most important things um, for folks to realize and understand. You know, don't just take somebody's word for it. Um, try to understand why it is that they're doing, why they're using a screen bottom or a solid bottom board or an excluder or uh, a frame feeder or all these different nuances. Try to understand why they are and then store that into your memory. So when it comes time, you have to make decisions. You're not just Googling how to keep my bees alive. Honestly, I think you shouldn't trust someone who gives you the answer right away. You know, I used to get so frustrated in, in regenerative agriculture when I would people would ask questions and then to the expert council of certain places, <laughs> <laughs> and they would be like, "Well, you know, roundabout, like I can't really answer your question for you. You know, this is how I do things, but I don't really have an answer for you in your situation." Right. And it, it gets frustrating at times, and I get that, that, like, you just want that answer. Uh, but, you know, the person who says that I can't answer that for you, but I can give you what works for me, that's the person you want to trust, and you want to hear more, more, what more people have to say. And then you take all that into a big pool, and you see, okay, which person here applies to me in my situation? It's like, it's like when people ask, what's the best anything? What's the best kind of bee to have? And someone says, Russians, Carnolians, Saskatoonian, whatever, whatever. So it's you like, forgot Italians. It's, it's Italian, <laughs> not Italian. That's right. You know, it's, so it's yeah, if you can understand yes, the nothing, details. Well, yeah, first. nothing's a black and white answer. And that's, and that's a hard thing to come and realize is nothing in this is really a black and white answer. It makes you be, un- it's, it's easy this, this day and age to be lazy. You yes. have a question, you Google it. You don't even fact check it. The answer, even, the first, you don't even, the first thing that pops up on a Google screen and it confirms whatever answer you want, that's what you go with. Oh, that's no, way too easy. You don't even need to Google days. anymore. You can just throw your picture in a beekeeping hey, Facebook Siri, group. What's the best bees for me? Yeah, I mean, and Siri says, "Oh, you need Russian bees from Data and Company." Actually, she says Italians. <laughs> <laughs> it, it goes with anything that you research for any topic. Whatever answer you want to find, you're going to find that answer. Especially when things are online or kind of tailored and are looking deep into like your search history and your shopping patterns and you ask a question, it's almost as though it's the answer that you're looking for is based on all of you, all the pre-existing you found on the internet. But, um, well, we're getting uh, close to an hour here, but I think we've, uh, we're able to, explain kind of you know where we came from and you know where we are so moving forward you uh jimbo you want to keep your bees alive absolutely keep them healthy and and keep them good looking until the winter time and we'll talk more about that as we get uh closer to the year dan we're gearing up for winter you're gearing up for winter yep splits are done uh once we get that last queen in that hive we'll be at 10 and it's just time to start ramping up and expect the cold so jimbo you probably have a little bit of honey that are being stored up in those early hives, those young hives. Yes, uh, there's 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 a fair amount of honey. So you might you might have actually have a little bit to to pull off this year, as long as the goldenrod flow comes in nice, that gives them enough. Yeah, well, we'll just have to take a look and see where they're at later take this week year. By week. Do you have plans for your honey yet? No, I don't want to have any plans for honey because uh, uh, I don't want to take too much from them. 
Uh, so whatever honey we get off of is our is our spoils. Dan, where are you at so far with honey and what your goals are with it this year? Uh, I lost. We had one hive in honey production this year, and we lost the queen. And so that quickly went out of production. Yeah. And so now we're just trying to play catch up. And um, since I only had one cro- or one hive for a honey crop, I'm not even worried about it this year. So you all have some table honey, maybe a little bit to make mead with, and yeah. Next year, come out with some some more uh, production hives for yep. honey. Yeah, that's that's about where I'm at too. We, my goal is this year were to get to about twenty or thirty hives. We're almost at that right now. We're going to keep pushing that envelope with some uh, uh, with some more learning opportunities for maybe. Well, you also did something unique. How many nukes did you buy from Don? Six. And how many queens did you come home with? Um. Uh, well, that was the great thing about when you're a commercial student of Don's and he tells you pick out your own nukes and you're picking them out and he's, you know, he he has boxes that are, you know, always on the verge of swarming because that's how he can make numbers. And so some of the boxes I came, I came, I came home with had some cap cells in it. And then I also came home with some queens, some, uh, some of Don's caged queens and um, use those to queen right um, some of the boxes. So between making splits, and I've I've not done any. Um, I've I've personally have stayed away from uh, making walkaway splits, um, just because of my context last year was was it worked, but not fast enough, and it wasn't it didn't fit my my needs this year. So they've all been um, the, the majority of my splits are now coming from the capped queen cells, because I some of the when I brought the queens back from Don, um, I gave some of those away. And um, I, I kept some for myself, got them repopulated. Um, so now it's neat because there's all kinds of different colors of queens, and there there's, there's a, seems to be a really nice genetic diversity, um, even even in this yard. So so just just to get a time frame of what actually happened. So you came home day one with six uh, nuke boxes. Yep. How many were you at at day seven? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, probably thirteen. And then, like day fourteen, and then within the next week, uh, ten days from then, I made some more splits with the capped cells, with the capped queens, and then from that point on, it's been maintaining those numbers, getting them crowded back out again. We had all the rain and the lack of pollen, and so right now they're ramped up again. So that cycle's come yeah. all the way around to where we're now. Um, would be about forty, about forty days later, are starting to all get to the point where I'm going to have more uh, queen cells than I have equipment built for. So you're going to be trying to make more splits this year, or you? I w- yeah, yep. So uh, this coming week, I'm going I'm to go through what I've been using. What one of the one of the best things that I've used this year um, for queening is making queen castles, which is a, a, an eight frame medium box that has two dividers, creating three individual colonies with three individual entrances did you make a youtube video explaining yours no but i used don's and that's how i made mine okay so don the fat i could have sworn i saw a video with your queen castle a video yes of yours i don't think so was it on the beaks page i probably i posted some photos that might be it then kind of showing the process and how how i did all that but that's been phenomenal because you have one eight frame box that's actually having three hives in it so when you make a split, you take take a frame that has a queen cell. You drop that in. It already has honey on it. Mm-hmm. It has some bees on it. You drop an, another frame of nurse bees in there or emerging brood, yeah. and that's it. You don't really need to um, to feed those because you don't have any young larvae in there. You just need enough honey for the nurse bees, and then um, they've exploded. It's Good. a lot, lot smaller space for them to keep warm, a smaller space for them to defend, and then I'm tying up a lot less boxes um, Real so, estate, yeah, yeah. So yeah. once once uh, the once the queen emerges and goes on her mating flight and comes back and starts to lay, I take those two frames out and move those to a five frame, give them some more foundation, and that's those are things that I learned in person from Don, uh, and also from uh, his his YouTube channel. And I mean his 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 style of beekeeping is just common sense beekeeping. It's it's so downright simple. It it just seems stupid. Yeah, and it just it it's worked out really well so far. Well, I'm glad. So we're gonna keep we're gonna keep on uh, doing that and and building the BR. I have to build some more hive stands because I'm just about out of room, but um, which is great. So it, it's it's nice when you've got 
a group of folks that are working together. They're they're finding some success. They're sharing they're sharing in their failures, and we're you know can kind of bounce things off each other and and um, you know kind of keep our journey yeah. moving all together. So uh, folks can can find us on uh, on social media on Facebook at the Contrary Beekeeper Show, and they can find all of us individually on all the social media places no nope, just and, one just facebook i don't do any of the other social medias well, they, can facebook. Bug, they might not find right <laughs> well thanks for tuning in and uh we're gonna we're gonna get out in the bee yard and take a look at dan's bees and and uh we're gonna get on with the rest of this year sounds good to me yippee kaye kayo kaye <laughs> okay Come on, put all, all you got into it. I want to hear your, your church voice. Come on. Oh, and find some ancient melodies. It's under me and stuff to say. Hurry, boy, he's waiting there for you. Oh, whoa. I wasn't meant to be on stage. <laughs> <laughs>